Welcome back to Emergency Goalies, a Blackhawks podcast. Uh, it was a busy week for the Blackhawks this week, with uh, five games since we last recorded. So we might have to do a little bit of a condensed recap, but I'm going to uh, kick it to Michael to uh, do the recap. Sure. A condensed recap, huh? Well, the first four games they lost. And they lost because they kept falling behind early, which is the trend that we saw for, what was it, like 10 straight games or something like that? Where the Blackhawks gave it, up the first it felt goal? Like, it felt like 10 straight anyway. Yeah, I mean, their losing streak reached, uh, what was it, eight or nine games. The first game was against Anaheim. And, you know, Blackhawks fell behind 2 nothing in the first period. Fought back to tie it up in the second uh, on a couple of goals by uh, uh, Debrinket and Gustafsson. Uh, but then uh, the Ducks came back and scored a couple of uh, goals in the third to take the game. Um, just kind of the normal trend of Blackhawks played poorly in the first, picked it up the rest of the game and played pretty well, but weren't able to overcome. Uh, then the next night, they took on the Golden Knights, who had kicked the crap out of them a couple of weeks back, and uh, looked like it was going to be more of the same, uh, because once again, the, the Knights jumped out to an early lead. It was 2 to nothing after the first period. Um, but after that, again, the Blackhawks... Uh, Started playing well, and uh, once again, they evened it up at 2-2. Two to two. After two periods, uh, Taves and Strom both scored, um, and then uh, they actually took the lead in this one. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Anisimov scored, and the Blackhawks actually you know, were ahead 3-2, to two, but it was a very short-lived lead it was less than a minute i think it was like 41 seconds or 44 seconds or something like yeah, that wasn't it like a crazy like eight or nine games since they'd last held the lead or something yeah. like that because the one game they'd won against the panthers was an overtime where they never actually yeah. led in the game right exactly so yeah it was uh it was a very long streak where they had not led in a game and yes yeah, and their lead lasted for all of 40 seconds or so and uh the knights tied it up and then boy i want to say it was even less than a minute after they had tied it up they took the lead and uh they were able to hold on for the win against the hawks so that was uh losses on back-to-back nights they had a couple of days off uh before they took on montreal on sunday and it was uh, again more of the same uh the Canadians scored two goals in the first, uh, like, eight minutes of the game. Uh, the Blackhawks did manage to get a goal late in the first period, so it wasn't a 2 to nothing score at the end of one. It was 2-1. to one. And once again, the Blackhawks were able to tie the game at 2-2 two to two after two periods. Um, so they entered the third with a tie game, but once again, uh, they were not able to pull out the victory. Um, Thomas Tatar scored late for Montreal. And so the Blackhawks losing streak continued. Yeah, it felt like they could have. You're thinking maybe they could sneak this one into overtime. But yep. yeah, the last two minutes they gave up a goal. So. Yep, yep. It was That was a tough loss. 
And then uh, Winnipeg happened uh, two nights later. Um, this was an embarrassing first period. Uh, the Jets were all over them. Uh, it, it was a three to nothing first period for the Jets. Uh, once again, the well, I, the Jets actually scored another goal early in the fourth period to make it four to nothing. But the Blackhawks stormed back. They scored two more goals in the second period. Their normal two goals in the second period at this point. Um, it's almost been like clockwork of late uh, to to bring the score to four to two. And then they actually scored early in the third period to make it four to three. And you thought, oh, maybe we're going to get to storm back here. But uh, Winnipeg uh, scored one goal uh, kind of in the middle of the period to extend their lead back to two goals. And uh, Blackhawks pulled their goalie late and uh, had some chances, uh, but uh, the Jets scored an empty netter to uh, extend the lead to six to three. And so the, the score ended up being a little more lopsided than the actual gameplay would have been. Um, but uh, yeah, once again, it uh, was another loss for the Blackhawks. So that uh, brought their losing streak to 11 games. And, uh, it, um, but they didn't have to stew on that one for too long because then last night they took on the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Penguins have for a long time here have been, uh, kind of the Blackhawks whipping boy. Um, this is, uh, the, the Penguins are a team that, uh, have, I don't think Sidney Crosby has ever won in Chicago and the Blackhawks have just really had their number. And, yeah. There was uh, the famous, um, 10, one win. One. Yeah. Last yeah, year one. fooled everyone. Yeah. Opening, opening night. And, uh, so yeah, uh, Blackhawks, uh, answered the pleas from my dog. If anybody follows me on Twitter, they know my dog was, uh, heavily involved in last night's action. He wanted the Blackhawks to score the first goal and uh, they did. It came off of uh, Andreas Martinson's backside, but uh, it came nonetheless. Pretty much um, the only way they, they were going to score the first goal ever, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was uh, the, the Blackhawks had called up a couple of players before the game. Uh, one of them uh, was Dylan Sakura, who we've touched on multiple times. Um, kind of their one decent scorer down in, in Rockford. And, uh, he entered the lineup. He didn't have much of an impact in the game. Uh, the, the other player that came up actually had, uh, a little better game last night. And that was defenseman Carl Dahlstrom. Yeah. He actually looked pretty good. I wasn't expecting anything from him. Yeah. They paired him up with, uh, Connor Murphy on the second pairing and uh, really decided to uh, shelter the uh, the minutes for Seabrook and Manning on the third pairing. Um, Seabrook and Manning, basically all of their uh, time on the ice came off of uh, offensive zone face-offs, and they still did very poorly with those, but um, Colleton basically didn't give them any defensive zone draws the entire night. Um, that was mostly reserved for Dahlstrom and uh, Murphy. 
And Dahlstrom and Murphy played pretty well together. Uh, that was a, it was a good pairing for him. And uh, the first goal for the Blackhawks, um, you know, it deflected off of Martinson, but it actually came off of a shot by Dahlstrom. Uh, so he was heavily involved in that play. Um, and then uh, the Blackhawks scored a couple more goals. Uh, Seabrook actually did score uh, one of the few uh, um, good plays that he made uh, on the night. Well, I guess the, you could say he was um, a might. He scored one goal and gave up two goals. So yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, the the Penguins did uh, score late in the first period uh, to make it two to one. Uh, Brian Rust, uh, who was a thorn in the side of the Blackhawks the entire night, uh, scored a goal. And then he scored again early in the second uh, to tie the game up. But uh, Alex DeBrinkett was able to respond late in the period. Unfortunately, Brian Rust responded right back, uh, scored in the final minute of the second period to tie it back up at 3-3. Three to three. So Rust got the, um, the hat trick. Uh, Debrinkit's goal was a power play goal, which was nice to see. Um, but it seems like it's been a very long time since that happened. Uh, but then in the third period, the Blackhawks, um, even though the Penguins were, were coming pretty strong and getting some pretty decent, uh, um, push, uh, the Blackhawks were the ones that buried their chances. Uh, Marcus Kruger scored his fourth goal of the year, um, and then Jonathan Taves and, Brandon Saad both got the empty netters at the end to kind of like the Winnipeg game the night before where it ended up six to three, even though it was a pretty close game. Uh, This one also ended up six to three, but six to three for the good guys. So, yeah, so it was a busy week. It was a very rough week, um, but finished on a high note. So, yeah. What was your take on those games? Well, a couple observations. Um, First in the one last night, that uh, goal that the Blackhawks scored to take the lead, um, you know, it's really, I'm starting to get really impressed, not like super impressed, but pretty impressed with Dylan Strome because he basically on that play checked two guys at once to yep. free up the puck. So um, Kruger was wide open in front of the net and he, I've really been, he's not been that bad. I've been impressed. Yeah. He's, uh, when the trade happened, uh, you know, I wasn't, hugely familiar with his game. Uh, I, I had definitely seen him play some, um, but uh, I, I had considered him more of a playmaker than a, a finisher. Um, Brandon Perlini was the guy in that deal that uh, um, was known more for his shooting ability, but uh, Strom has shown no um, hesitation to shoot the puck. Uh, when necessary, I, there was a couple of plays where he tried to get fancy, but for the most part, um, in comparison to what we saw with Nick Schmaltz, who would want to do anything but shoot the puck, uh, Strom has been a uh, a uh, nice change of pace in that regard. Uh, he is both creative and willing to fire the puck when necessary, which is a strong asset when he's playing with Patrick Kane, who you know. Um, is going to set him up for, uh, you know, plenty of scoring opportunities. So as of right now, he is burying his chances. Uh, I do want to say his shooting percentage is up over 20%, which is not sustainable. Um, so that's going to come back to earth a little bit, but, uh, yeah, in the offensive zone, 
Uh, Dylan Strom has looked very solid. Um, now that line, they, they, they went away from it and they've come back to it with Strom centering Kane into Brinkett. And, uh, they're, they're getting chances. They're, they are scoring. Uh, however, they are still giving up a lot of chances. Um, and in, in several games, they've given up far more chances than they've generated. So I, it, it's, it hasn't worked perfectly yet. And I still see Strom struggling in the defensive zone a little bit, um, especially since he's not getting a ton of help from his wingers. Although that, that seemed to get a little better um, in the past week. Uh, Kane and Debrink get seem a little more uh, involved. Uh, so that, that was it. it. It's at least a positive sign. And so, yeah, if you can get that line going, uh, Taves looked really good last night. Um, Saad kind of comes and goes a little bit, but he's been more good than bad um, of late. Uh, however, they just, they don't have anybody to pair with them right now. I think Cahoon was on the line last night, but he's, he's not a top six guy. Um, so yeah, they're still, they're still short in that regard. We've been harping on that all year. Um, Sakura came up. I, he didn't make much of an impression in this first game. Uh, since the Blackhawks had the lead, um, Colleton, really didn't uh, play him much in the third period. He's not much in the defensive zone. It was his first game as well. Um, so, you know, obviously a little transition, but um, I noticed in the third period uh, when uh, his line came out, uh, he was getting replaced with Marcus Kruger quite a bit. Um, so, you know, trying to protect that lead, uh, they were not, not going to give uh Sikora much of a chance. So, Anyway. The, the other thing I was going to mention too is just I I know I've, we've hit on this a few times, but I mean Seabrook is just seems to be getting worse and worse. Like la- last night he was just awful. There's um, the yeah. second Penguins goal. He I don't know what he was doing. He charged forward when there was only you know there were two Penguins players in front of him on his own blue line. He charged forward for some reason I'm not exactly clear on. They stripped the puck from him, went in for a two-on-one with just Manning back there, which, I mean, no shot. Oh, and then they was, buried the his, his, his defense of that play was awful. But it's like Seabrook says, like, I know he's not as fast and stuff. He's lost speed and all that stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, he's not even making, like, smart decisions anymore. It's like you think being a yeah. better and it's like it's not good. His exits out of the offense or out of the defensive zone have been – atrocious for quite a while here. Um, he is turning the puck over with regularity um, while trying to clear the defensive zone and find breakout passes and stuff. He's firing it to the opposing team at least two or three times a game and they generate chances off of those and they often end up in the back of the net as well. So yeah, um, Seabrook, you know, he, he looked good. Well, I shouldn't say good. He looked better at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, I guess at his age, maybe, uh, he, you know, got a little rejuvenated over the off season, but, uh, you know, as the seasons progressed, I I think he's wearing down a little bit. Uh, I don't think his coaches, both Quenville and Colleton did, did him any favors by, 
trying to play him in the top four. I mean, Quenville, for whatever reason, you know, had played him with Keith for a while, despite years of disastrous results for that of late. And it once again proved to be disastrous. The only time Quen or the only time Seabrook has been able to show any kind of consistent uh, production has been when he is put in a sheltered third line or third pairing role. And it didn't work out well the last couple uh, last night. Um, he still got abused a little bit, but that's going to be the only way that it's going to work is, you know, you just, you put him on the third pairing. Hopefully that keeps him as fresh as possible and you go from there. So I was going to don't, have- and you don't pair him with Brandon Manning because Brandon Manning is atrocious. Well, Brandon Manning shouldn't even be on the roster, of course. But yeah, that's a little different. Um, but no, I was going to ask since it's been a few games now, um, your uh, thoughts on the Connor Murphy coming back in the lineup because he's been pretty. I mean, maybe it's just compared to these other guys, but he's looked pretty good. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, I mean, not great. Uh, you know, we talked about. Oh, hold on, my dog's starting to whine. Hey, calm, calm down, buddy. Um, he's not a savior. Um, I think he's a fringe top four guy. Um, but for the Blackhawks, that's a vast improvement over the six, seventh defenseman that they've been rolling out there. Um, you know, he's not going to contribute a whole lot offensively. Uh, he has jumped into the play a few times since he came back. Um, and uh, he's shown good instincts instincts doing that as far as when when to do it and when not to. But he's not a real creative player. He's not going to finish a lot of chances either. Um, but he, he's at least playing smart in that regard. And seems to be doing the same on the back end. Um, you know, he's not a guy that's going to really be a shutdown guy for you. But he plays a smart, safe game back there. Um, you know, a quicker players will occasionally get the better of him. Uh, but you know, he's just, he's a solid, uh, I'd call him a fourth defenseman, you know, uh, on a, on a great team, he's probably a five, but you can get by with him as your fourth guy. If, um, you know, but unfortunately for the Blackhawks right now, he's probably their second or third best defenseman. So that's, that's a problem, but yeah, I'm glad to have him back. Because, uh, you know, it allowed them to uh, put uh, Jan Ruda on waivers. And so that was one. That was the reason why, um, well, and Gustav Forsling went on the, um, went on IR. So that's that's why we saw the Blackhawks call two guys up last night. Yeah, so you're, we're not going to see Ruda again, probably, you would think. Sparring no, I, he, he's probably... Uh, uh, his salary is probably a little too high. They're paying him two point three million, so I, I I think there's a pretty good chance he makes it through waivers and will have to report down to Rockford. Um, I, I still think there's a decent chance he could be traded at the deadline if he goes down to Rockford and actually plays decently. Um, by the time the deadline com- comes around. Uh, his cap hit will be significantly less and uh, teams are always looking for a little extra right-handed um, defensive depth. Uh, it, he's Ruda is not playing as poorly as like Manning and he's probably playing on par with Seabrook, but 
when you already have, um, you know, you have the longer contracts committed to those two guys, Ruta is the, you know, the obvious choice to uh, move on from to begin with. So that's going to be the first step. Once Forsling comes back and uh, if Dahlstrom uh, continues to play well, um, you know, they might have to come to a decision on Manning at some point. Um, there has been some talk that uh, the Blackhawks have been pretty aggressively shopping both Ruta and Manning around the league, trying to find a taker for them, um, you know. But uh, I think we all kind of realize that that's a, a, a pipe dream at this point, uh, maybe at the deadline for Ruta. Um, and then uh, I think, unfortunately, with Manning, that's probably not going to come until the offseason. Well, I mean, something, I don't know what situation another team would be in where things have gone wrong enough where they had to trade for uh, Manning, but I, uh, it would have to be a, a cap dump of, of similar type. Uh, I, I know one rumor that was floated out there was uh, um, Sam Gagne with Vancouver, who also has a contract that goes into next year. He actually makes a little more money than Manning. Um, and he hasn't even been able to get into the Vancouver lineup. I don't think with any regularity. So, you know, it'd be a similar situation and, uh, you know, maybe the Blackhawks could see greater upside with him, even though it's more money or maybe you get Vancouver to, to, uh, um, eat some of the money on, on Gagne's contract, but it certainly wouldn't be the first time that, uh, he's been rumored to go to the Blackhawks as that was right. Back in the yeah, day, I mean, he was a common guy. Right, kind of like with uh, the storyline with DeBrinket and Strom reuniting, um, as uh, you know, with the Blackhawks here, as when they were both uh, uh, junior teammates uh, that played well together. Uh, Gagne was a guy that was on the line with Patrick Kane in juniors, and so you know they they were friends and they were um, you know pretty dynamic at that level. But you know, Gagne has never really been able to. Um, consistently produce at the NHL level. Uh, you know, for a while there, he was a he was a decent second, third line guy, but he never became the first line guy that uh, some people envisioned when he was drafted. Uh, I think he was like sixth overall or something. Well, uh, Blackhawks have not been good lately. No, they that's, that's been an understatement. So I thought for listeners here, we'll take a little break from the current Blackhawks because, well, they're kind of a bummer. That's right. There's not much to talk about right now. So uh, we're introducing a new segment where we um, look back at some point of Blackhawks history. Now, for the start at the start of this, we're probably not going to go um, earlier than the early 90s because that's when both of us started watching the Blackhawks. So, I mean, I'm sure there's more interesting stuff we could do later with the old time, but we're going to start with um, the time we watched. So anyway, um, this week we're doing our favorite players from the 1990s Blackhawks. And I'm going to let Michael go first. Well, I'd be lying if um, you know, it's not going to be a popular uh, choice, but I'd be lying if I didn't say Chris Chelios. Um, you know, obviously uh, the fan base has turned on him a little bit, given uh, his longtime association with the Red Wings uh, post Chicago career. Um, you know, he obviously spent more time with the Red Wings than he did with the Blackhawks. And, uh, there was the one photo that he took on the ice where, you know, they had all the former Chicago greats in their Blackhawks jerseys and Chelios skated out there in his Red Wings jersey and took the photo. And, um, 
I think a lot of fans have not forgiven him for that, but uh, when he was actually with the Blackhawks and, uh, you know, playing at a Norris caliber level uh, play, uh, yeah, I mean, that was that was the guy for me. <laughs> so, And, you know, no offense to Keith and Seabrook, but I will always argue for Chelios and Gary Suter as the best defense pair I've ever seen for Blackhawks, but... Um, I would actually argue strenuously against that because I think Chelios and Keith Carney were a better pairing than Chelios and Suter ever were. But that's just my opinion. So you, you'd rather have Weinrich and Suter and Carney and, and Chelios as your defense? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's a, that's a fair one. And yeah. I, also, no, I, I always like thought, I always thought Carney worked better with Chelios. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that's just my opinion. A very so good top you, four. Your favorite? Oh yes, we got to get to my favorite. Um, my favorite now. I did a cutoff between the 2000s and 90s because there was a guy that came in the late 90s who I might have said, but I'm going to save him for the early 2000s. But uh, now this is another one that's probably not popular now. But I have to admit, my favorite 90s player was Jeremy Roenick. Ah. I don't think you get a lot of hate for that. I mean, yeah, he's a little, he's a little goofy on the, you know, on his opinions and on his television appearances and stuff. But I think most fans fondly remember his time as a Blackhawk. Yes. I mean, I still remember, um, it was the uh, 95, uh, the strike shortened season when he blew out his knee and I was like, I was so bummed. I mean, yeah, never quite the same after that. Yes. No, but it was, it was a bummer. And the funny thing was they actually made the uh, Western Conference Finals that year anyway. But, mm-hmm. yeah, that was such a bummer because, like, he was the guy back then. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot of great choices from the 90s, especially the first half of the decade. Um, You know, if I'm if forced to choose a little beyond Chelios, um you know, I guess another semi-unpopular opinion was I was always a big fan of Eric Daze. Um, He took a lot of flack from the fan base because he was a big guy that played like a little guy. Uh, but my argument to that was, does he play like a good little guy? And unequivocally, the answer would have to be yes. Um, you know, in an era where goal scoring was at a premium and the Blackhawks really struggled to score goals. Um, Daze consistently scored at a, uh, you know, a 25, 30 to goal, 30 goal pace uh, in an era where that was a big accomplishment. And um, yeah, he wasn't great defensively. Yeah. He never hit anybody um, despite being six, six, 200, whatever pounds, but you know what? He scored goals and the Blackhawks is, Badly, badly, badly needed that. And I always thought he was underappreciated for what he brought. Yes, I agree with that. And, I mean, we could talk a little bit about that uh, 1995 team, which is, like, I guess I would say in the 90s my favorite team. But it was quite an interesting team. I mean, they brought in a lot of, like, mercenaries, we'll call them, like Bernie Nichols and Joe Murphy and stuff. But it was a fun team. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, you know, it was a team with a lot of parts that, uh, you know, kind of uh, 
offensive oriented or defensive oriented and not, not as much two way play. Um, but for whatever reason, the mix worked, um, you know, you had kind of offense first guys like Nichols and Murphy. And, uh, uh, at that point, uh, Gary Suter kind of fell into that, uh, um, but maybe by that point, I guess he was more of a two-way player. Chelios had kind of had enough of an influence on him where he was starting to take the defensive zone a little more seriously at that point. But, you know, you also had guys like Sergey, Sergey Krivikrasov um, and some guys like that who, you know, it was more more just a one-way game. And then, uh, you know, you still had guys like Dirk Graham and uh, Steve Smith and couple of guys like that where it was more I'll, I'll handle the defensive side somebody else do the scoring sort of thing uh, so yeah that was uh, that was a fun team um, and of course our favorite um, insane goaltender Eddie Belfort yes yeah who if anyone watched those back watching back then will know what we're talking about he was I'm pretty sure out of his mind I don't know how else to describe it um, he never stopped being out of his mind. Um, he was, he was off his rocker, um, as a player for the Blackhawks. He continued to be a very strange indiv- individual, his entire career and post career. Um, but you know what? He was also a hell of a goalie. Yeah. Um, although at that point, I will have to say, um, that was kind of the turning point there where, uh, Hackett actually started out playing him. Yes. Um, it was a goalie so, controversy that started bubbling up about then, yeah. Yeah, that was that was about the point where uh, Hackett started out playing him. Um, you know, by the time they traded Belfour, I wasn't completely against the notion of doing it. Uh, I will argue forever that uh, they had kind of poisoned the situation by then, and the return that they were able to get for him was ridiculous. Re- ridiculously small and they should have been able to extract a better trade. But, um, you know, I, I don't think it can be argued too, too much that, uh, um, you know, it was a, a bad decision so much, but yeah. Um, you know, it was unfortunate the way that those teams got dismantled as, uh, Ronick and, uh, Belfour and those guys started, uh, uh, requiring a bit more money than uh, dollar bill was able to pay. Yes, and of course that'll be my guy, one of my favorite players from the two thousands. Not my all time favorite player, but um, who, uh, which most people just hate, um, Alexei Zhemnov, because he was of course traded for Jeremy yeah. Roenick. But I like Zhemnov. I know I, I'm a weirdo, but he kind of falls into the same uh, category as Daze, where. Uh, fans were frustrated with the team being bad. And for whatever reason, when the team is not quite as good as what the fans want, they have a tendency to blame the good players on the team as opposed to the bad players on the team. And I think Jamnov and uh, Daze bore the brunt of that. Um, and I think it was a little unwarranted. So, yeah, I was, I was a fan of Jamnov's as well. Um, I mean, not to say that he didn't deserve a little criticism. Um, he was uh, often known as somebody who was not taking, uh, you know, was kind of a, a, a tough, 
tough personality off the ice uh, as a as a partier sort of thing. But uh, you know that's certainly not unusual for especially for back then for hockey players. So uh, again, I, I think a lot of the criticism of him was unwarranted. Yeah. And, yeah. So, but yeah, uh, that ninety four ninety five team was. Uh, was a lot of fun. Uh, I even, you know, again, I, I, you know, some of the guys that, uh, eventually, uh, you know, the fans turned on or, you know, it didn't quite work out. Uh, I, I, I liked watching Patrick Poulin and, uh, Jeff Shantz too. Um, or I guess back then, as he was known as Jeff Shantz. Yeah. I always said um, Shantz. I didn't know it was Shantz. Well, during his Blackhawks career, it was always pronounced Shantz by the announcers. Um, but it was after he left and went to Calgary, I think it was. And they asked him, I guess the new announcer, you know, whatever the announcers were is like, Oh, how do you pronounce your name? And then he said, Shantz. And so from that point on, it was Shantz. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, he was uh, him and Kriva Krasov were guys that, uh, you know, it kind of torn up the, uh, minors, um, and they were pretty high draft picks and, uh, the forever were kind of, uh, considered the t- two guys that were going to help kind of alleviate some of the depth scoring issues on that team. And neither of them ever quite made it there. Um, you know, obviously Kriva Krasov eventually had a little bit of an impact when he finally made it to Nashville in the expansion draft. But, uh, um, you know, Shantz kind of topped out as a third line, mostly fourth line center, but I actually thought he played that role pretty well. He was the Marcus um, Kruger of his time. Um, maybe yeah. better than Marcus Kruger. Yeah, yeah, I'd say maybe better, kind of like in between Boland and Kruger, kind of kind of middle ground there. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, in a little, uh, in a bit of a way, he was kind of like Boland in that they kept trying to push him into the second line center role. Um, because that's what they needed. And that's, you know, he had kind of shown a scoring ability in the minors, but it just, it never translated in the pros. And so they put him up at second line. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, he'd be back down at the third line and, you know, that sort of thing. So, and of um, course, my final, yeah, my yeah. final thought on this whole thing is I hate you, Maple Leafs. I still hate you. Yes. It was so sweet when they, uh, that was probably my favorite moment back then was, they went down two nothing to the Maple Leafs in the '95 playoffs, and um, yep. stormed back and won. I think four straight games, and I think that's uh, right. beat the Maple Leafs. And that was like people now because they're in the East now. But yeah, the Maple Leafs. Ooh. Well, and uh, you know that was against Felix Potman, who had dominated the Blackhawks in a previous playoff series. Uh, I think it was the previous year. Yeah, or? the year before. Year before, yeah, yeah. So yeah, they had lost in the first round of the Maple Leafs, and uh, Potvin had, you know, that was kind of his real big coming out party. I think, um, you know, as a potential big time goaltender, and, and I think it was from that point it was actually a little bit downhill for Potvin. But um, yeah, I mean, at the time that was a it was a very satisfying uh, playoff victory. Um, and then, yeah, and, you know, then they swept the Canucks after that. And, uh, you know, it looked like, you know, they were on a roll, but, um, 
you know, they they ran into the buzzsaw that was the Detroit Red Wings in the conference finals. Yep. And, uh, yeah, you know, like you said, Ronick had gotten hurt and, yep. So, it, was all, it was all downhill from there, but that's where another Yeah, cut. that was, that was, no, I, they were still good the following year. Yeah, they made the playoffs. Uh, well, and uh, they, they, they made a pretty good go of it at the Avalanche in the second That, round. by the way. You know what? Actually, why don't we save that for next week? Because that okay. Avalanche series was very yeah, that was a great series. That that was kind of the last hurrah, and the, the Avalanche were the eventual Cup winners that year. So yeah, but that that that'll be for next week. Anyway, I'm, I guess I should do our little preview for this week's upcoming games. Sounds back good. back in this era. All right. So the Blackhawks have three games. Uh this coming week on Friday, Winnipeg comes to Chicago at uh, seven 30 uh, central time. And I mean, we really don't have to go over Winnipeg again because they played the Blackhawks a lot. So you know what to expect there. Uh, Sunday, another five P um, 6 PM central time game in Chicago with the San Jose sharks, who I don't believe the Blackhawks have played this year. So, um, sharks aren't what they used to be, uh, but they still have, um, is Sorton, I think he's healthy. I'm not sure about that. Oh. Uh, you know, off the top of my head, I'm not sure. I want to say he's back, but, but yeah, the sharks aren't what they used to be, but anyone's better than the Blackhawks at this point. So, yeah. and then, um, finally Tuesday, uh, Nashville comes to play the Blackhawks. I think this is the first. Time Nashville's been in Chicago. Yeah, I think the other game was in Nashville. Yeah, and that is an NBC sports game, and it's at um, uh, 7.30 Central Time. And Nashville's been pretty good. They had a couple, you know, rough stretches, but as you saw against the Blackhawks, they kind of took care of the Blackhawks pretty easily when they played them. So Yeah, and they did it not at full strength, so it'll be curious to see uh who they have in the lineup and if it's a you know more than regular squad what you know whether or not the blackhawks can actually hang with them at all yeah and i guess that's the question for every game for the blackhawks now against everyone can they hang they were playing they played a little bit they're still falling behind but they did keep close in some of these games it made them interesting anyway Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, we, we've seen them. Oh, my dog. Sorry. Hey, get on. Knock off. Um, yeah, I mean, they're playing well in the second periods. And, you know, if it, you know, it's just kind of one of those things where if you could get them to play that way for an entire game, but, you know, that's a easier said than done, um, you know, especially when, there's just not enough talent in the lineup. Um, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to carry the play for, you know, 75% of the game. Like we've seen with some of the teams in years past, it's just, they're not, they're not, they're not capable of that. Yep. And I guess that's going to be the way it is for the rest of this year. So, but Mm -hmm. you know, they won a game. They're not losing on that losing streak anymore. So we've got that the whole two for at least another day or two before the next game. Yep. 
um, anyway, I think that's all we've got for this week. Um, yeah. I think that's a good point. Yep, I am at STH85, and Michael yeah. is? At MJ underscore Ernst. Yep, and uh, you can always subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, the Emergency Goalies, a Blackhawks podcast. You search for it on iTunes, you should find it. And um, that's all for this week.